Hey, this is Rodney Gage. I'm the pastor of Rethink Life Church in Orlando, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages and inspires you to live with a new perspective, make better choices, and have a greater impact with your life. Here's today's message. Good morning, Rethink Life Church. How you guys doing today? Hey, while you're clapping, give those that are watching us online a round of applause and welcome them into our experience today. So honored to have you both in person and online. And uh, man, what a great and powerful time of worship we've had this morning. Don't you appreciate our amazing worship team? And uh, they're dream teamers just like you who serve and who use their gifts and abilities to honor the Lord. We're so thankful for them. Man, we have so many things going on in the life of our church, and this is an exciting season as we're ramping up for our resurrection celebration on Easter Sunday. And uh, that's the reason why we're doing this series that God's put on my heart called Like Jesus. And I just want to go ahead and dive into today's message because last week we began this series called Like Jesus by looking at a theme versus scripture that's really what we are building everything around. It's in Matthew chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, want to open them up or, or turn on your phone to your Bible app. It's Matthew chapter 9, uh, looking at verse 35 through 38. And as you're finding your place there, let me just say that last week uh, we began with focusing on seeing as Jesus sees. It really changes the game when you're able to be like Jesus and see like Jesus from that perspective. It's, it's really seeing through the eyes of Jesus. When we think about people that we're around, when we think about our lost world, when we think about you know, our city, when you think about the people in our lives, our sphere of influence that God has given us the opportunity to impact, it really begins with a vision. It begins seeing people through the eyes of Jesus. Because when we really begin to see people through the eyes of Jesus, that's when we can be most like Jesus. But today I want to take it on to the next step as it relates to what we're learning here in Matthew chapter 9. And I just want to begin by asking you a question. I'm curious, how many of you happen to have seen... Uh, the, Ukra- the Ukrainian president this past Tuesday addressed Congress, uh, the United States Congress, as he was pleading for help. Would you raise your hand? Maybe you saw that. I, I saw it live, I, and, and of all things, I was actually uh, was on the Stairmaster at our uh, club where we were, Michelle and I both, we were exercising. And a lot of times I leverage that time either to listen to a podcast and on this particular day, I just happened to be watching the news uh, app on my phone. And it was live. It was the president there in Ukraine who was addressing the American people, specifically the leaders in Washington, and basically just asking for support and asking for help. And, and it was really fascinating because he went from really just painting a verbal picture to suddenly showing these amazing images, and you could just sense, as the many, as far as I'm concerned, the world was watching, especially our nation's leader, you could sense the atmosphere of the room totally shifted when the president began to show images of his people, the Ukrainian people, 
whose lives have been innocently lost and taken because of this war and because of you know, the bombings and the shelling that has been taking place. And they literally showed people just like you and me. I mean, families out in the parks enjoying everyday common life just like any of us would. But then all of a sudden they showed the contrast where literally buildings were, were torn apart. And, and, and you saw people lying in the streets, including children literally lying in the streets in their own blood. They, they showed dead, pregnant women who were being carried out on cots and literally bodies being dumped into open graves. And I'll be honest with you, as I was there literally trying to exercise, tears began to well up in my own eyes. Because for the first time in a long time, my heart was moved with where we are in our world and where we are in our nation and where we are when it comes to the lostness and the spiritual and the moral depravity of our nation and in our world today. And as I was processing all of this, I was asking God, God, what is it that I can do? God, what can we do? God, what can we do as a church to make an eternal difference? And when you think about why Jesus came to earth over 2,000 years ago, you know, when I saw those images, I was thinking, God, this is a world that you created. These are people who you created, and you created them for one reason, and that was so that, God, you could have a relationship with the people that you created, and yet the people, the very people that you created are the very people who have turned their back on you. These are the very people who have chosen a way of, of sinfulness and depravity, and, and then I'm processing all of this, and I'm thinking, God, what can be done and it was as though God just whispered in my ear and he said, I've already done it. I've given my one and only son who came into the world to rescue those who are spiritually lost, to redeem us, to forgive us of our sin, the moral and spiritual depravity that we all have in our lives. And the only hope and the only answer is Jesus. Would you agree with me? It's Jesus. Jesus is the only hope that we have in our world today. He's the only hope for redeeming the spiritual and moral depravity that we see each and every day. And in Matthew chapter 9, looking at verses 35 through 38, it says that Jesus traveled throughout all the towns and villages in that area, basically the region of Galilee. He was teaching in their synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. Once again, God sent his son to earth. For that very reason, to rescue, to forgive, to redeem mankind because of sin's depravity. But the Bible says when he saw the crowds, and that's what we talked about last week. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, he said, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. And so today what I want to do for a few moments is I just want to continue the conversation like Jesus. Because in order for us to be like Jesus, we got to see like Jesus. And when we see like Jesus, we're going to feel like Jesus. 
In other words, we're going to have the kind of compassion that not only moves our heart, but we're going to have the compassion that truly reflects the heart of God. You know, compassion is different from pity. You know, pity is, in many ways, kind of feeling sorry for something or someone, but, but com- really compassion takes it further. There's an emotional connection. There is an emotional response. It's, it's even taking it to the point of taking our feelings and putting them into action. There is an actual response. There is, a, there is an action taken when we truly feel compassion towards something or someone. And what's interesting is that when we feel we were moved with compassion, as Jesus was moved with compassion, it's interesting that the scripture says that there's a word picture there, a metaphor, if you will, that, that he saw the people as though they were sheep scattered abroad, if you will, like sheep without a shepherd. So there are three things that I want us to look look at today as we think about feeling as Jesus felt, as we think about this whole concept of compassion. Number one is this, we have to understand the condition of the lost. You see, it's impossible to truly feel like Jesus felt if we don't see as Jesus saw, but yet when we see as Jesus saw, we're going to be moved to feel as Jesus felt. Why? Because we understand the conditioned of the lost. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, it says it this way all of us, including me and you, we've all, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. It's interesting to me that because of sin, we've all drifted away from God. We've chosen to turn our back towards God's plans and His purposes and God's ways, and we've instead replaced God's ways with our ways. We've chosen to do our thing, to do what is right in our own eyes, and as a result, we have had to reap the consequences of our sin and our rebellion towards God. We just naturally drift towards what feels like and what seems like is right in our own eyes. And it's subtle. Have you ever noticed that? You know, in fact, we can drift and we can, we can find ourselves separated and, and not even realize how far, how disconnected we truly have become when it comes to our relationship with God. How many of you have ever been to Disney? I know it's a no-brainer of a question. We live here in the backyard of Disney World. Well, when we were a younger family and our children were of the age where it was like, man, we were trying to go out to Disney all the time. That was the place they wanted to go. And I'll never forget going out to uh, Magic Kingdom one day with our family. And, and um, you know, right there on Main Street there in Magic Kingdom, you know, it's just always just this massive crowd of people. And on this particular day, you know, we were there as a family. And uh, our two daughters, our daughter uh, Rebecca and our daughter Ashlyn and, and our son Luke, who was really young at the time. I think he was probably maybe five, six years of age. And um, I'll never forget, we were there, and, you know, we were getting ready to go into the park, and I don't know what we did. I think we actually went into, like, one of the stores, and as we were coming out, we noticed, as we began to kind of regroup, we were looking at the map, and we were going to try to, you know, identify where we were going to go next, and as we began to start moving in the direction of where we were going, we began to look around, 
And I see Rebecca and I see Ashlyn. And Luke is gone. And in that moment as a parent, you suddenly, you know the feeling if you're a parent. All of a sudden, your heart begins to race. And you're looking everywhere, but everywhere is nothing but a sea of humanity. And Luke, our little red-headed little boy, is gone. And so we rush back into the store thinking maybe he went back in there, nowhere to be found. We're going, you know, to and fro. We're just looking everywhere, frantically looking for Luke, and he is gone. And all of a sudden, your worst nightmare begins to you know, enter into your mind thinking that somebody abducted him, you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, your heart is pounding through your chest. And so we finally went to one of the cast members and we asked, is there like a, is there a place where, where children are taken if they're found? And they said, oh yes, that we have a place called the parents lost and found. In other words, the missing parents, the parents who are not in the right place where they should be with their child. And so we've, we were escorted to this place known as the parents lost and found. And all of a sudden as we walk through the door, there is our son Luke. It seemed like an eternity, but some good Samaritan faithful citizen had noticed that Luke was missing in, from his mom and dad. And they took him to the parents lost and found. And there was our long lost little sheep, our son Luke. And I'm telling you, I'll never forget that because as a parent, I thought to myself, where in the world did our son go? And I can't help but think, that must be God's response when he sees those whom he created, those that he longs to have a relationship with, those that he gave a plan and a purpose so that they could live their life in a way that brings not only pleasure to God, but ultimately brings fulfillment to them. God created us so that we could know him and know his plans and his purposes. And yet when we drift and we go our own way, I can't help but imagine God saying, where has my lost son? and lost daughter gone and so what's interesting is that when you think about sheep you know it's throughout the scriptures the word pictures of sheep and shepherd are used quite frequently and it's always funny to me how sheep were described in unique ways because there are certain characteristics about sheep that I think is important for us to know and to realize when it comes to comparing our lives, especially the spiritual lives of who we are as sheep. And I'm just going to put it bluntly, one of the primary characteristics of a sheep, you ready for this? They're just dumb. I mean, there's really just no other way to explain it, but sheep are dumb animals. I mean, we've come a long ways when you think about training animals. I mean, we, we, we train dogs, right? We can train dogs to do tricks. We can train horses. We can train lions. We can, we can try, we, we, can, um, we, can, we can train tigers. We can train elephants. I mean, there's a lot of animals we can, can train. In fact, uh, we are in a small group. My wife Michelle and I are in a small group on Tuesday nights with some couples. And one of the couples who are in our small group are actually trainers. And specifically, they train killer whales. So you can actually train a well. But here's one thing we know to be a fact. You cannot, no matter how good of a trainer you are, you cannot train a sheep. They're just dumb. 
You'll never see a sheep at the Ringling Brothers, you know, Barnum and Bailey Circus. They just don't exist. They do not do tricks. They can't be trained. They're not very smart. And what's crazy to me is that when you think about comparing people, human beings, with sheep, it's a pretty amazing analogy. Because people, I think we would all agree to the fact, they're smart, right? We're, we're supposed to be smart, right? Are, are we smart in here? Come on, somebody. We've we got to be smart, right? I mean, surely we, we're not just quite that dumb. We're not quite like sheep. But what the scripture is helping us understand that spiritually and morally, we are illiterate. It's crazy because when you think about human beings, we're extremely intelligent about a lot of things. Listen to this. We are intelligent, intelligent when it comes to technology and business and politics and sports and finance and foreign policy and science. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. There are people in this room whose IQs are off the charts. I mean, academically, professionally, many of us have really become overachievers on so many different levels. But when it comes to the spiritual and to the moral condition of human beings, it's amazing spiritually and morally how illiterate people can be. And that's the world in which we live. And so not only are sheep dumb, but you're ready for this, they're directionless. You know, a sheep has no sense of direction. Uh, I mean, when they drift, when they wander off, they're gone. They just, they're just directionless. They don't have a sense of direction or a sense of awareness when it comes to where they are. They follow other sheep they, or they just wander off the path. You know, what's, uh, what's interesting is we were in a conversation the other night in our small group because we were kind of debating uh, who was better drivers, men or women? That's a loaded question. Kind of interesting. How many of you think uh, men are better when it comes to a sense of direction? Come on, guys. Help me out here. Come on. That's right. That's right. How many of you, how many of you women think women are better? You have a better sense of direction. Come on, ladies. Okay. You want to know how you know for sure if men or women are better? Google it. That's how you know. Guess who won? Men won. According to Google. According to Google, men have a better sense of direction. Come on, men. Get an amen out there. That's what I'm talking about. Some of you ladies are already Googling it, saying that. We're going to do some fact-checking today. Well, they did name, I guess, Siri after a female. And had, uh, what's, the, what's the Google lady's name? Alexis. So, anyway. So, I don't know. But anyway, bottom line is... Sheep are not only dumb, but they're directionless. I think that's the point we're trying to make. Because at the end of the day, here's what's crazy about sheep. What's crazy about sheep is that when they wander off, they cannot come back on their own. I love the quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, to walk out of God's will is to step into nowhere. And that's exactly what happens. A lot of people who drift away from God, when they step out of God's plan and purpose and will for their lives, what are they doing? They're stepping into a place. They're stepping into a life. They're stepping into the unknown where there is no sense of direction. There is no purpose. There is no sense 
of direction in their lives. Why? Because spiritually and morally, they're left to themselves. Which leads me to the third characteristic, and that is the fact that they are defenseless. So sheep, they're not only dumb, not only do they not have the ability to, to take care of themselves, but when they're lost, they're, they're wandering aimlessly and purposefully, and they're helpless, they're defenseless, which makes them vulnerable to attack. And you got to understand, we have a spiritual enemy who's out to steal, kill, and destroy. 1 Peter 5.8 says that, that our spiritual enemy, he roars around like a, like, a, like a roaring lion. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for something or somebody to devour. And we see it each and every day. We see our spiritual enemy that is devouring the lives of mankind. We see it happen in marriages. We see it happen with young people. Listen, we see it in people's lives spiritually and morally like never before. And we got to understand it's because when we step out of the will of God, when we're not in a right relationship with God, when we don't have a relationship with God, our creator we are left on our own in a, in a place in a state of helplessness and hopelessness we have no defense which leads me to the second thing and that is the compassion of our savior so you have the condition of the lost but you also have to consider the compassion of a savior because the bible says that when jesus saw the multitudes he was moved with what said out loud compassion so Jesus, Jesus was moved with compassion. Why? Because they were weary and they were helpless, like wandering sheep without a shepherd. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three back-to-back parables or stories. And so he's talking to his audience that day, and he talks about a woman with a lost coin who lost her coin. He talked about a father who had lost his son, but he was also talking about a shepherd who had lost a sheep. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 4, it says, and Jesus kind of proposed this question. He said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and, and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? I can just imagine a, a shepherd at the end of the day after he had been out you know, with his sheep there in the pasture. And at the end of the day, he, he gathers his sheep and he puts them back into the pen, the sheep fold, if you will. And so he's kind of taking inventory of his sheep. And so he's counting heads, he's counting sheep, and he's getting to the end. He's saying 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. Wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. 96, 97, 98, 99. And all of a sudden, the reality hits him that he's one short. There was one, there, there was, there was one, there's one that's missing. And what does that shepherd do? He leaves the 99 in the pen where they are protected, where they are safe, where they are gathered together. And what does he do? He leaves the 99 and he searches, he goes after the one that is lost. Now, what's interesting to me about this situation is that this shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. Why? Why did he do that? It wasn't the fact that necessarily that this one specific sheep had a lot of value. 
even though it had worth and value, it wasn't as valuable as the other 99 by itself, right? But the point of this illustration that Jesus wanted the people to understand, it wasn't the value of the sheep. It was the compassion and it was the heart of the Father, the Savior, the Shepherd who was going after the one to rescue and to find the one that was lost. Why? Because it mattered. It mattered. And my prayer, you know, as a church and as a pastor, my prayer is that we will never ever get comfortable with just being content with the 99. But we will do whatever it takes to get comfortably uncomfortable to go after the one. I want you to understand something today. My heart is not to fill seats in this auditorium. My heart is to fill heaven. My heart is to occupy heaven with as many men and women and teenagers and boys and girls as we can possibly win to Jesus Christ. But on a practical level, every empty seat in this auditorium represents a lost sheep that is wandering aimlessly and hopelessly, that is without any kind of defense. And those lost sheep need a Savior. They need a shepherd that God has already called, like you and me, to go and to find and to rescue that one lost sheep. Because when we rescue the lost sheep, listen, when we invest in people and we invite them, listen, when we bring them back into the sheepfold, guess what? Not only are they redeemed, but listen, those individuals are restored. They are put back together. They are put back where God's original plan and purpose is for their lives. And guess what? We get to occupy heaven together. Because when these seats are filled, we have a better chance of occupying heaven with more and more people with the hope of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. So that's why we do what we do. God has given us, listen, an opportunity. There are lost people everywhere here in Lake Nona. And in our city of Orlando, over 2,000 people a week move in to this place each and every week. That's mind-boggling to me. I was talking with a lady at the Welcome Center in the community where my wife Michelle and I live, and she was sharing with me how there's literally a waiting list for people just to get on the waiting list to buy houses. Because people are moving here from literally all over the place, and there's not enough homes to be built and sold when it comes to the demand of people who are needing places to live. And she's saying, we can't keep up with it. We're doing the best we can, but we can't keep up. And I'm thinking to myself, as we were talking back and forth, she said, you know what's sad and what's unfortunate? She said, we don't even have churches that are here in the community that are established and built. And I looked at her. I said, we're getting ready to change that for the glory of God. I said, by the grace of God and the glory of God, we're going to change the landscape physically because we're going to plant and build a church that will be a beacon of hope and light in the city because people from everywhere are coming to this place. And we want 
want them to hear and to know and to understand that there is a place such as Rethink Life that will embrace them and will share with them and will give them the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. The good news that can change their life and change their marriage and change their family and change the destiny of their lives. And man, I don't know about you, but what an opportunity we have. In John chapter 10, verse 11, here's what Jesus said. He said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. In other words, Jesus is simply saying, hey, I came to give my life for the very sheep that were lost. And we have to do the same thing. We have to be willing, as I stated a few moments ago, to get comfortably uncomfortable. To step outside of our comfort zone and, you know, just talk to people. And just share with people. Because people are everywhere and they're seeking and they're searching. My wife Michelle and I, we, um, we had a little, everything's cool. She's going to kill me for saying this. She's not here today. She's recovering. And, um, but we had a little um, pit stop at the emergency room the other night. And there were the people there, you know, they're still wearing masks. And so when we walked in, there was a lady who came and she was getting basically all the paperwork information. She was wearing her mask and she saw me. She said, Pastor Rodney. And I could, all I could see was her, was her eyes. So I didn't know who she was. And then she finally, she pulled down her mask. And I recognized her and we began to talk. And she began to share her story. She said, four years ago, she said, rethink life, save my life. I said, no, I said, Jesus saved your life. She said, but I'm telling you, she said, because of Rethink Life Church, she said, I, I would not be where I am today if it were not for your church. And she went on to share with me how she was baptized, her and her daughters were baptized at the beach. And she just went on and on and on. She said, I am not the same person. She said, I'm telling you. She said, your church literally saved my life. And I couldn't help but think to myself, she was one of the ones of the 99. She was one of the ones that God used us to reach. And I don't know the full extent of her circumstances, but you could just sense the joy of the Lord in her heart. And she said, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for being a church that gave me hope and something to live for again. And I just want you to know, I'm convinced that there are people on this school campus and there are people in this community. And there are people, listen, in our families, there are people in our neighborhoods who are spiritually lost. And they need to know the compassion of our Savior. They need to know that God loves them. God has a plan, he has a purpose, and he wants nothing more than for those people to come into a right relationship with him. That's it. And we have an incredible opportunity. Because on April 22nd, excuse me, April 20, excuse me, April the 17th, on April the, uh, April the 17th, I'll get it right in a second, April the 17th, is one of the single most 
One of the single most strategic opportunities of the calendar year to invite people to church. And I just want to ask you today to do everything you can to invite people. Listen, we're going above and beyond. As you heard a few moments ago and Dr. Linda shared some, some opportunities. Listen, we're doing some community outreaches. Next week, we're going to give 500 little Easter baskets. They're basically just invite opportunities. They're going to have little invite cards that you can give to a neighbor and give to some people just to start a conversation, just to invite them to church. Listen, we're, we're going to be giving out over 7,000 eggs in an Easter, Easter uh, hunt out here on the football field on that day. We have all kinds of opportunities where we're literally taking our church into the community. And the reason why we're doing it is because, listen, 82%, that simply means 8 out of every 10 people that you invite, according to research, will come to church if they're simply invited. That simply means that people are waiting. And they just need somebody like you and they need someone like me to be able to say, hey, here's an opportunity. Come sit with us. That's the reason why I have two services at 9 o'clock and at 1030. Because we want to give double the opportunity for people to come so they can hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ is not in the grave? Listen, he is alive and we're going to celebrate the risen Savior on April the 17th. So there's a third thing, and I want to close with this, and that is the celebration of our sa- the celebration of salvation. You see, when Jesus saw the crowds that day, the Bible says that he was moved with compassion. Why? Because he saw them as, as sheep without a shepherd. They were spiritually lost. And so we see not only the condition of the lost, and not only do we see a, a compassionate Savior, one who was willing to lay down his life for the very sheep that he had come to save. But I love the, how the story ends in Luke chapter 15 of the story, the parable that Jesus gave. Because he talks about the shepherd that goes out and then he finds the one. And notice there in verse 5 in Luke 15, it says, And when he found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. When the same way, there, are, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. You know, what's interesting is that in biblical times, listen, you either had, you either had shepherds or you had, you had farmers. That was their livelihood. Well, most shepherds, it was not really common for one shepherd to have a whole sheep fold. And the reason why is because they couldn't afford it. So therefore, their, 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 the, the, the sheep fold that, that they had, were they were co-ventures. They were partnerships. In other words, multiple shepherds would come in together. They would pull their money together to purchase the sheep because that was a part of their livelihood. And so that's the reason why the scripture says that when he finds it, what does he do? He calls together his friends and his neighbors. Why did he do that? Because they had a part in what was lost. They had a part in the fact that this shepherd had lost his one sheep, but he would return that lost sheep to the rest of the sheepfold. They were in it 
together. And that's the reason why we like to say, let's do great things together. Because this is not about me. It is not about, listen, what we do. It's about together, a body of believers, you and me, a spiritual family, working together to go out into the world, into our community, and to reach that which is lost. And that is people everywhere. And so when we see a co-worker, when we see a classmate, when we see a neighbor come to faith in Jesus Christ, man, it ought to be an opportunity to celebrate. It ought to be an opportunity for us to rejoice because the fact that somebody who was lost is now found. One who, who had strayed away had suddenly been found and restored and redeemed and brought back into a right relationship with God. And I don't know, there may be some of you here today, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, man, I, I got a classmate, or I got a coworker, or I got a neighbor, or I have a family member, or I have a spouse, and they're spiritually lost. Or maybe they've drifted, and they're outside the body of Christ. But here's what I know about this whole issue of getting a burden for people is that a burden can't be taught. A burden has to be caught. And what we have to do is we simply have to ask God, God, would you break my heart with the things that break yours? God, break my heart over the spiritual condition of a friend, a family member, a spouse, a neighbor, a coworker. God, break my heart. And God, help me to see them as you see them. God, give me the compassion to feel as you feel for their spiritual and moral con con condition. And I just really believe that if we'll ask God to give us a broken heart, to help us to see from a different perspective, I believe God's going to use us in ways that we never thought possible. It could just be an invite. It could be a text message. It could be a phone call. You know, it could be delivering an Easter basket. Who knows? It could be a, an invite card. But just a conversation could be used into an opportunity that God will use to bring those who we love and those that we care about into a place where God wants them to be. So here's what I want to challenge you today as we close. Would you ask God to give you a burden for the lost? And remember this verse in Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. It says, those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go. In other words, when we go to work tomorrow, when school gets back in session tomorrow, let's ask God to help us see as Jesus saw, so we can feel as Jesus felt, to have a broken heart, a sense of compassion for the people around us, just to give us a spiritual awareness of where people are. It goes on to say, they weep as they go to plant their seed, but notice the return, but they sing as they return with the harvest. It's going to be an amazing day when a spouse that you're praying for 
and a spouse that you're sowing seeds into, a classmate that you're praying for, a classmate that you're sowing into, a coworker that you're praying for, and a coworker that you're sowing into. It's gonna be an amazing day when that classmate and that coworker and that family member, that spouse, it's gonna be an amazing day when they come back into the place that God has destined for them to be. It's going to be an amazing, amazing moment when we see those who were lost return back into the sheepfold. It's going to be a time of celebration and rejoicing because the Bible says that there is more rejoicing taking place in heaven over one lost soul and sinner than those who are already saved, those who are already protected, those who are already secure, those who are already safe. All of heaven is rejoicing. Guys, that's why we do what we do. That's why we have something called the dream team because it takes teamwork to make the dream work. And we'll talk about that more next week because the harvest is plentiful. But Jesus said the problem is that the workers are few. Look at my friend Jared. Jared, I want you to know I honor you today. I praise God for you today. I thank you that as a, as a leader of your home, you set the tone, you set the example as a servant leader in this church to serve in the capacity of parking who are there just to help people, to receive people. And my prayer, Jared, is that we're going to add 10 more people to your team in the next two weeks before Easter Sunday, both men and women that are going to join your team and wear yellow shirts that are going to be out in the parking lot, that are going to be there to receive the people that are going to be coming into the 9 o'clock parking lot to the 1030 parking lot who are going to be coming on Easter Sunday because we want them to know hey we've been praying for you we've been expecting you we've been waiting for you and now that you've come you're going to walk into a place where you're going to meet the greatest people on planet earth a people known as rethink life that's going to share with you the love and the hope of Jesus Christ I'm telling you from the street to the stage we want people to hear and to experience the love of Jesus. Praise God. Amen. That's what we're all about. That's why we do what we do. And so listen, together, together, let's go find some sheep. Let's go rescue them. And let's bring them back to the place where they belong. Would you join me in prayer? Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, it would mean a great deal to us if you would consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. You can click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories. And be sure to tag us at Rethink Life Church. To learn more about our church, check out RethinkLife.com. Until next time, hey, we love you and believe the best is yet to come in your life.